Theorizing that primetime audiences were ready for a new time travel series, NBC and creator Donald Belisario debuted Quantum Leap on March 26, 1989. Starring Scott Bakula and Dean Stockwell, the series followed Dr. Sam Beckett for five seasons of time-hopping adventures, spawning novels, comics, and a fan base that has clamored for decades for a revival. Now, with Raymond Lee and Caitlin Bassett starring in a new version of the series that dangles just as many new threads as it does old ones, we'll ball the string up and explore the revival and the ways in which Quantum Leap has always entertained and inspired us here on... Oh boy. Oh boy, it's a Quantum Leap podcast. My name is Nate, and with me is a co-host we can all see in here. It's Brian Martin. Ziggy says there's an 88% chance I'm going to fall the fuck asleep during this episode. <laughs> you just got finished telling me you were fine. <laughs> it's late, guys. It Old is... Brian's running on fumes here, but uh, but we're good. No, I'm good. I, I'm Old actually. Old Nate's quite running good. on uh, whiskey again. Tonight. Hey, good for you. Yeah, I'm chock full of amber beverages, <laughs> and I'm pouring them myself right now. I feel like a guy flying in first class on a Pan Am flight in the '60s, baby. I've got <laughs> <laughs> just keep the fluids flowing. That's right. And Every sense of the word. We are also on the home stretch. It feels. More than the home stretch. It's like stumbling into home plate. <laughs> you think we're stumbling? Is that uh, a statement on this week's episode? I, uh, you know, maybe. Really? Maybe. Interesting. I'd say stumbling, not flopping. Flopping would imply that we've really, really taken a fall. I'm more interested in discussing it now. That's an interesting response from you. I was very curious. I was really chomping at the bit to talk about this episode, and not because of the just insane final three minutes of the episode but how this episode functions overall i'm really interested to get your take on it today i'm looking forward to it as well who accepted the nudge this week brian so it's august 5th 1971 ben has leaped into lois mitchell who we're told is from chicago for what mm -hmm. it's worth <laughs> <laughs> lois is a flight attendant on her first overseas flight from london to new york on a uh, jumbo jet one of those two-story puppies. She is servicing a number of people. But more importantly, this flight crashes in the Atlantic for reasons unknown. Complicated even further, in light of the revelation at the end of the previous episode, Magic immediately orders Ian to pull the plug on Ziggy. Or the mini plugs, as it were. Several plugs powering this huge server farm that is running hot, baby. A cloud-based AI, they say. Yes. <laughs> cloud-based Ziggy is. So we're unplugging Ziggy and, as Ben observes, flying blind, where everyone at Quantum Leap has to finally do, I think, their jobs to the fullest of their mm -hmm. capabilities to provide Ben with the information he needs about the people aboard the plane and the issues that lead to the planes plunging into the Atlantic. Lots going on here. So you feel like they're stumbling across the finishing line. Well, there's a couple things. I've got my, let's talk broad strokes. Let's talk about uh -huh. what this episode is trying to accomplish and the underlying message. Every episode of New Quantum Leap has this sort of feat that Ben's working through, that Ian's working through, that Addison's working through. It provides the undercurrent 
that also plays into whatever Ben's current leap situation is. Whether it's coming to terms with your own identity, gender-wise, whether it is reconciling with a family member, understanding something deeper about your own upbringing, like there's an undercurrent that goes through every episode. And this episode's is really about trust right. and Ben's ability to trust people. So one of the things I want to look at is that thematic arc and does it work and does it make sense? The other okay. thing, I've got some nitpicks and we can get to the nitpicks later and they're really, really minor and quantum leap's going to quantum leap. Right. So, <laughs> okay. so let's focus on the plane for a little bit. All right. Ben is Lois. She's a flight attendant. She is working amidst a host of obviously very sexist people. It's 1971. Right. The flight crew somehow more sexist than the <laughs> than the passengers <laughs> on the planes, just beset left and right. Some of the most important people in this leap would be the other primary flight attendant, Holly. Sort of like the Obi-Wan Kenobi to Ben's Luke Skywalker on this flight. <laughs> <laughs> the one okay. who's, who's been around the block and is kind of showing her the ropes. That's gracious, <laughs> but okay. Yeah, it is. <laughs> She's like the Obi-Wan Kenobi if Obi-Wan Kenobi was directly related or dating someone in the IRA. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I mean, the Rebel Alliance, they were all terrorists anyway. Anyhow, we've got... Blasphemy. <laughs> Corey, who is the worst, most annoying child you can imagine cranked up to 10 just constantly demanding all sorts of things of the flight yeah. crew we find out that his father owns the airline and he's always on these flights and he's just an annoying little pissant this is a character that would have been played by a macaulay culkin back in the day yes you know <laughs> yes macaulay culkin would be a good one the person i was thinking of was Ralphie from uh, Christmas Story. No, I was thinking of Eddie Deason. I'm going to go on a limb and say no one knows who that is. <laughs> Congratulations. He was in Grease 2. Uh, <laughs> I think he was in the original Grease as well. Uh, War Games, Critters 2. Uh, those of you who are fans of Mystery Science Theater, he was in the episode Laser Blast. Uh, and if you've seen Laser Blast, you know exactly who I'm talking about. And if you've seen Home Alone, you know exactly who I'm talking about. Which, okay, fair enough. <laughs> Eddie Deason also played the nerdy kid in the Polar Express. Yeah, my kid likes it. And in fact, when we watched it over the holidays, as soon as that character showed up, I grumbled under my breath, Eddie fucking Deason. <laughs> Here he is again. Last week you were talking about characters with the like kiss of history or whatever. Sure. That is a character to me that seems like we would have eventually figured out was our Stephen King or our buddy Holly. Exactly. You I know kept what I mean? waiting for some sort kept, of revelation about, yeah, about young Corey. I thought it was going to be somebody famous that now, we, we didn't know. Now, the nice thing about Corey is that Corey does have an arc in this episode. He ends up in a very endearing place. We see him in moments of vulnerability. Right. I think Corey ends up being one of the highlights of this whole episode for me. But other characters on the plane of note. Jim Gentilly, who is the captain of this doomed vessel. And we have also his co-pilot, Paul. <laughs> and, and then Corey's, I'll say, handler, 
Leslie, who is taking full advantage of the fact that you can, I guess, still smoke on planes in 1971 for most of the episode. Yeah, to say nothing of the fact that they serve prime rib on an international flight. I thought this was great. All right, so Ben leaps in. And the camera does its spinny eye thing. And the first Mm -hmm. thing we see is Ben looking at a knife in his hand with blood running down it. Right. What a great intro shot. Right. Yeah, it was pretty good. It could be anything. Right. What is this? And then it's like, hey, you call this meat cooked? And then you look (laughs) down and it's prime rib that sliced. And I thought it looked perfect. Yeah, right. I don't want that thing cooked through. But obviously we're dealing with one of those, I like my steaks served well done with ketchup kind of people. So whatever, live your life. But (laughs) great intro shot there. I agree with that, yeah. So we're introduced, as usual, to our cast in this leap. Ben is immediately subjected, as you might expect, in the true Sam Beckett fashion of leaping into female characters to just rampant sexual harassment. Yeah, I've noticed they do handle that differently. Ben does not bat an eye. He's never uncomfortable when he's a female character. That was always like a moment that was played for laughs when Sam was, you know, having to wear pantyhose or, oh, look at his hair is funny and he's uncomfortable getting his hairy chest into this dress or whatever. The entire climax of the first episode Sam was a woman in was centered around that. Right. Talking about how much he knows what it's like to be a man. Yeah, exactly. Juxtaposing that. So, yeah, but this is just treated like uh, it's just another leap. Every time. He's never even remarked on the fact that, oh, I'm a woman this time. And part of me finds that unrealistic. Granted, this is all about time travel and what have you, but grant me a little leeway here. If your suspension of disbelief at some point, this really kind of smacks of political correctness. Yes, I think there's an objectivity and there's not the level of subjectivity that would be sort of realistic. Right. We can be accepting of something. Yes. But being accepting of something and suddenly finding yourself being something totally different, that's... Yeah, and having to walk a mile in someone's shoes, the experience of it. Right. I can be 100% feminist, but it doesn't mean I'm going to feel comfortable wearing a dress. Like, you know, the, the moment I leap in. Yeah, I'm yeah like, the moment I leap in, in I look down, I'm a skirt. woman, and it just doesn't feel natural. I don't care how progressive Ben is. Nothing should be able to prepare you for arbitrarily switching genders without thinking about it first. And <laughs> even if you had no problem with that at all, nothing could prepare you for walking in heels on an airplane if you've never done it before. Oh, shit, no. I have a hard enough time staying upright on an airplane in sneakers, for God's yeah. sake. You know? So, like, these are the types of things I'm talking about. You don't need to constantly comment on the fact that, oh, life sure is different when you're a woman, but he's taking curvy stairs in heels on an international flight in turbulence and there's like no mention of the I've just noticed it's been that way all season long yeah I think again it's a reflection of the culture and Ben is more an avatar than anything else right the writers probably feel like they'd get in trouble there's such a line that you'd have to tiptoe around yes yeah we talked really briefly about it when we talked about Run for Honor where they were making progressive themes at the time that were maybe good for the time but maybe not now right Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, obviously can't make the same show, but... What we want to say is, I guess, basically, to the writers of this show, 
it's okay to show Ben struggling to walk in heels. <laughs> like, right, <laughs> At that's the very the, least. That's the gist think. of it, right? Like, yeah, it's okay yeah. to treat this like a novelty because for Ben it is. Yeah, good. That's a good way to put it. I think having him deal with the sexism of whatever era he finds himself in, whether it's the 1980s in a nightclub, whether it's a 1971 plane, I feel like for this writing staff and for this culture and maybe this time period, that's enough. Even that they handle very anecdotally, though. Mention it because we know it's there and then move it along. This episode, the quote was, I'm starting to think the early 70s wasn't the best time for stewardesses. That's the quote. And then we're kind of on from it, right? Yeah. And they mentioned something about skirt chasers. Sure. Yeah. We talked about it in SOS. They mention it and move on. But he doesn't ever really struggle with these issues. They actually had Sam struggle with these types of things. Right. They were the focus of the episode that Sam would be in. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like tackling an issue as opposed to just pointing it out in passing. I guess the point is that it's always touchy, but for different reasons in different eras. It's, it's very difficult to address some of these things in today's culture. There's one thing this show doesn't want. It's getting canceled. <laughs> Fair enough. The biggest problem in this episode is that because Ziggy's down, nobody's really sure what happened to this plane. The black box was never recovered. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was a mechanical failure. Maybe it was a hijacking. We just don't know. So everyone at the project is kind of doing their own research, bringing things to Ben as they come up. And right. we end up with a situation where one issue begets another, begets another. And then eventually the actual problem is made clear for us and it can be addressed. But amidst all of this, maybe because of this air of paranoia largely informed by what happened in the previous leap with Martinez, very nearly killing Ben before the leap ended, Ben has decided that he doesn't want to trust anybody anymore. Right. So this is the big thematic crux of this episode, and that's what I really want to talk to you about, is like, does this idea work? Ben has lived a long time. You know, he's a guy in his 30s, probably. Mm -hmm. He has very close friends whom he's remembering more and more, and he's found himself in situations where he's had to trust people who he wasn't sure if he could completely invest in throughout just the episodes we've seen. And yet one incident where he's almost okay murdered. <laughs> by Granted, a, he's left for dead. By a but... character we know to be dubious. Uh-huh. And Ben is like, I just don't know if I can trust anybody anymore. I'm like, yeah. uh, mm, I don't know. Yeah, I stumbled on that too. I did. And the reason being, he already knew that he couldn't trust Martinez. Right. It's like... (laughs) It wasn't like he threw all of his weight towards trusting Martinez. He was kind of on the fence as to whether to trust this guy or not. And it turns out, not. Right. It wasn't a matter of his instincts being wrong. I don't quite buy that he would just look at everyone on that plane and say, I can't trust any of them. Right. I can see it working more as a crisis of like, is my judgment askew? Because I made this call to do this thing and it almost backfired. But it doesn't feel like a reading of people was ever off. And Addison brings that up. Yeah. He read everybody exactly correctly. Yeah, his instincts are good. But the problem is that it doesn't feel like it should have taken Addison to tell him that. Right? It should have taken him five minutes in the bathroom (laughs) 
just kind of looking in the mirror and thinking about everything that just happened. And granted, Ben's got a lot to unpack after the end of that last leap to go from bleeding out in a car to standing in a plane holding a bloody knife. How is anybody supposed to respond to that? Especially considering what led him to that point. But it seems like something that he should just be able to say, okay, you know what? I just got to put my game face on. I got to get out there and figure out what the hell's going on in this plane. And Yeah, I see them writing this episode and I see that prior episode having an effect on your character. Mm-hmm. But they somehow drew the wrong lesson from that episode. Right. Really don't think it was a trust thing. It felt more like a judgment thing. And maybe he could be second guessing his choices. This would have been a great environment for him to assess his choices. You've got another leap where there are a lot of elements that could ultimately lead to this plane's downfall. For starters, one of the earliest things we discover is that the captain has been getting electroshock therapy. Hey, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of that going around in the last couple of weeks. Right. He's had some mental health problems. He's been trying to keep it off the books because he could lose his job. So maybe the captain just loses it. Right. We've got Holly, who we find out has a boyfriend directly involved in an Irish terrorist group. And, oh, my gosh, maybe they're going to hijack or take down the plane. And then we have what ends up being the actual, well, one of the actual problems, I guess, that there are forces on the plane trying to escape with large sums of money. Right. Which is also not what brings down the plane. (laughs) What brings down the plane is a mechanical problem that stems from that incident. From them being there, yeah. That only, it turns out, Corey can help rectify. Right. Because, golly, this kid just loves planes so much. (laughs) (laughs) Boy, does he. He's great. He's great. Yeah. Totally changed. Corey's got a, just like the rags to riches story I've been waiting for all Quantum Leap season, where (laughs) he starts out as a character, I'm just like, shut the f*** up. And then by the end, I'm like, you know what? This kid's pretty good. Yeah, this kid's all right. So in broad strokes, then, is this episode good? Do you like this episode? For me, it lands lower than the most recent episodes that have been rocking it on a high level. Yeah. I think this one, in a season ranking, ends up somewhere near the middle. Despite the fact I loved the premise, I loved the setting, despite how insular this episode is, we never got an episode like this on the original Quantum Leap. And I, I'm watching this episode and I'm thinking, like, why did we never get an episode set on a plane Yeah, in the original series? This seems yeah. like a no-brainer to me. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Very similar to my thoughts, honestly. This is sort of what I wanted a bad episode of this show to be. Right. Which is, <laughs> yeah. which is to say, like, it's fine. Yeah, it's it's, it's perfectly fine, fine episode. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. And I think the reason being, they're writing their show correctly. They're using their characters properly. Mm-hmm. The story isn't necessarily bad. And there's no extraneous garbage that gets in the way. Right? Yes. Yes. Where I think the failing comes is that it falls back into that trap from the pilot where, again, it's kind of been against bad guys as opposed to who is he helping. Yes. Yeah. The people that Ben has leaped there to help, that's where you get all your feel, that's where you get all your heart. Yes. The people he's helping in this episode are largely faceless. 
It's these 300 people on this plane. Yeah, you've got to stop someone or something rather than help someone or something. Yeah, and the people that are being quote-unquote helped, like I said, largely faceless. And those that we have met are kind of (laughs) douchey. That was the next thing, yeah. When you frame it that way, it really just becomes good guys against bad Mm -hmm. guys, which loses any kind of real emotional impact that the episode might carry. Corey became a pilot, successful pilot. Lois, after the plane was saved, was invited to the White House, which I thought was one of my favorite little moments. Mm. It was the Team Quantum Leap is like, boy, she must have been really confused when she was at the White House because she missed out on all of that because Ben was the one. Right. That's actually one of the things that sort of bothered me about this episode. It's a note in passing, and maybe it's one of these things you're calling a nitpick. To me, it's, it runs a little deeper because I'm at this point where I'm trying to separate my head canon that we discussed prior to what we now expect Quantum Leap hosts to experience, right? And I feel like this is a prime example of why you wouldn't want your host blacked out for this entire experience. This is going to lead to some very troubling imposter syndrome. Yeah. You know? Yeah. If she gets invited to the White House for actions that she took landing a plane that she obviously has no knowledge of, you'd know in your heart of hearts that you didn't do this thing. Yeah. You were blacked out for the whole time, and all the hero worship that you're getting from this very moment is completely undeserved. Counterpoint. It was the Nixon years. (laughs) When the president does it, that means it's not illegal. So maybe that took a little bit of the heat off of it. I don't know. (laughs) All right. (laughs) So I I got invited to the White House, but it was that president. But it was was that president. Good point. All right. Well, point stands. Uh, Yeah, no, you're right. Like, like, that's the ongoing problem. Yeah. Yeah, it makes it troublesome for me. I don't want my leap hosts to be completely blacked out. Now, every time I get onto this little tirade, I do think back about how it is kind of interesting to have this collection of people throughout history who have had this experience. But like you and I were talking about, maybe they find each other somewhere. Do something with it. Like that's the thing. The show must do something with that. I really, really hope they intend to, because I think some sort of support group or some sort of organization. All right. So here's the thing. If we're talking about a bunch of people who are like, yeah, I blacked out for three days, too. And when I came to something amazing had happened. Those people find each other, man, through Facebook groups. They find each other. Certainly now. Yeah. You know, these days. So, yeah, like, certainly. like, I mean, this is how QAnon started, for God's sake. You know, these people will find each other. So I've got to believe that there is some sort of shared experience group out there. You look back to even like the 70s and the 60s with like alien abductions and things like that. Like people are finding each other and sharing their stories. And so whether they sound like complete wackos or not. Like Oswald was an alien 117. (laughs) Reddit user Oswald was an alien 117. Maybe he's a leap host. There you go. There you go. I mean, he definitely was. You're you're a hundred percent right though. Like, if they start to do something with it, maybe some of these things will kind of wash away. But right now, I feel like if I were Lois, and I went through that experience, that might drive me to drink. All these people, <laughs> well, like I oh probably funny as I like Nate needs an excuse. Yeah, like I need an excuse to pour back a yeah. But yeah, I, can you imagine the hero worship? 
that comes with something like that save the lives of 300 people doing something that you have absolutely no business doing yeah honestly yeah right how would you respond to that situation like some people might just take it and be okay with being a phony but other people it's just gonna break them up inside to be like i didn't do this like this didn't happen to me this isn't real i mean it it will just tear that person up and then at least that's where my mind goes. There is I don't feel I, I don't want to tell the people at Quantum Leap how to do their job, but I'm going to guarantee you there is an Emmy in there somewhere for the people who write that episode. <laughs> do they accept unsolicited scripts? I don't know. Yeah, I don't think so. Probably not. But it's too good an idea to leave on the table, you know? Yeah. There's something there. You know, I don't know Lois, but she's not deserving of it. She's she, not the one that did do it. Do anything? She's her first yeah. day on the job. <laughs> Yeah, right? But as far as the mechanics of the episode go, they're doing the things that they need to do to make it right. I really enjoyed watching them work analog, as they described it. Basically, they had the internet at their fingers, which is essentially all they had in the original series. It was just That's what Ziggy was. They're just like you and I in this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I think it's worth noting that Ziggy, for all of her advanced science fiction, she was essentially the internet. Right. I mean, that's really all she was, and that's all they were working with in this episode. So they had to put together a mystery, which was nice. I'd love for the origin of Ziggy to be like Don Belisario sitting in a library, scrolling through article after article on microfiche, research for an episode of Magnum or something, and thinking like, Oh, man, I wish there was a computer that would do this for me. And that's where the whole concept came from. And maybe Al Gore is sitting in the corner of the library going, hmm, I'll invent the Internet. But one of the first things that happens in this week's episode is, yeah, we were left with this big revelation that, oh, Ziggy's the mole. Ziggy, for whatever reason, has ulterior motives or stuff. Ziggy's kind of let off the hook pretty quick. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Not just because they literally take Ziggy off the hook. Right. But because Ziggy is the one constant of Quantum Leap. Ziggy was there at the beginning with Sam. Ziggy is here now with Ben. And Ziggy will be there whenever Martinez leaps back. And whatever Martinez and that crew or team that is managing those leaps, whatever information they're drawing from comes from what Ziggy knows about what's happening in present day. Yeah, what Ziggy already knows. So everything they do is logged in Ziggy. Right. And they have that information to go on. So is Ziggy a willing mole or is Ziggy just a computer that's amassing data that somebody's taking advantage of later down the road? It's more the latter, I think, in this week's episode. Maybe in this week's episode, but last week she had red lights, Brian. Red evil lights. (laughs) Only the most villainous of robots have red lights. We all know that. Yeah, nefarious indeed. Yes. We were positing some theories in that regard. You were theorizing that maybe Ziggy would become a Lothos. Right, right. And I thought about it a little bit between episodes, and it might actually be kind of interesting if Ziggy were in control, giving Martinez his mission. Mm -hmm. And my thought was, Ziggy clearly had something for Sam, right? Oh, like in sure. the original series, sure. she was always flirty with him. Ziggy, and were, Ziggy was Randy for everyone except Gushy. Right. That's true. That's my right. theory. But Ziggy thought of Sam as dad. I mean, they had a relationship, right? Sure. 
And you have to imagine that she would want him back. Maybe Ziggy has put forth a mission for Martinez to find Sam, something that Ben hadn't been able to do. And maybe in the sacrifices that she's making to allow him to do that, she could evolve into a Lothos type entity. It's just kind of taking what you had thought and moved. Well, how would that actually work? She's put together something that might be able to bring dad home and she may have to bend some rules or break them in order to do it. I also don't think that's what it is, mind But that you. is interesting, and it kind of goes back to what we were discussing last time about what comes first. Does mm-hmm. Martinez's leap necessitate Ben's leap, or does Ben's leaping necessitate Martinez's leap? Mm-hmm. How does the timeline work? And what you're describing makes me picture that Ziggy started launching Martinez with a specific intention, And then Ben started leaping because of the results of whatever Martinez did, which I think is what the show is doing. We still don't know what Martinez's actual mission was or is. I was just thinking that if it were put forth by Ziggy, she's got to have a vested interest in trying to bring Sam back, right? You would think so. But again, we haven't seen a lot of personality from this Ziggy, right? So I don't know how much of that persona is still intact that was the other thing in this week's episode the friendly skies they kind of implied that ziggy had been offline for all that time Mm -hmm. and bringing her back online was the handiwork of ian ian like ziggy is much more ian's project at this point than it is sam beckett's brainchild Right. Yes. there's a comment made about the code that's in ziggy is primarily ian at yeah. this point. I was a little disappointed to hear that. I kind of thought of her as a character, like she's in a consciousness almost. Maybe sure. that's not what they were implying. Maybe the wispy voice that Deborah Pratt was giving her kind of made it feel like she was a, a conscious entity. Like, I wonder how much the decision to make Ziggy this non-feeling computer that's not really a character is reflective of our times. When we talk about chat GPT and bard right watson yeah watson <laughs> want to talk about watson old he's watson chess i hear I... old fucking watson man that guy he's got nothing going for him at this point <laughs> that guy's begging for change down by the street <laughs> please give me a quarter but uh there is a certain part of the population that looks at that and ooze and ahs and then there's the rest of us that look at it and say it's just repeating things it's not really thinking for itself Right. You know, what are you defining as AI? Right. So, so I wonder if the presentation of Ziggy on the show isn't reflective of that modern mentality that like, I mean, AI is not that impressive. you know? <laughs> right. Yeah, it could be. You know, in the original series, when we saw Project Quantum Leap, it was the future for us. So they made it appear as a, like you could never imagine a world like this of nineteen. Imagine a computer with a sexy voice talking to you flirtatiously. <laughs> or with blinky lights in the ceiling, yes. you know. <laughs> you will be amazed by the five colors <laughs> of lights blinking at you. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. <laughs> he has halitosis. Uh- <laughs> But that being said, they've reined that in. They're making it believable in the same way that like Avengers technology is recognizable as technology today. It's still pretty high tech, but you can imagine it exists. Right, yeah. Whereas yeah. 
in the original series, you couldn't really imagine Ziggy. She was clearly a work of fiction. In Quantum Leap, the original series, most households didn't have a PC at the point that that show came out. True. It was like yeah. having a computer was still, wow, look at right. what the future looks like. And now we're all walking around with earbuds in, listening yeah. to whatever we want to listen to at any given moment. And to have Ziggy, as she existed on the original Quantum Leap, here as that same character... I don't think it would play the way it once played. I don't think it'd be distracting, though. Not distracting, necessarily. I just don't think people would look at that and say, well, that's a computer that can definitely do shit I can't imagine. Yeah, but you just have an opportunity to have another snarky voice in the room. We can never have too many of those. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I feel like it could have worked. The amount of time that we've spent with Team Quantum Leap actually working on leaps recently kind of gives you an idea of what that office is like, right? And what that working environment is. And I don't see it being thrown too out of whack to have a dome in the ceiling that (laughs) throws its two cents in every once in a while with some kind of snide remark towards magic for being too wishy-washy on something. You know what I mean? So here's a theory for you. What if the solution to whatever's happening with Martinez and what we see in the final moments of this leap, what if the solution is that Ian has to sacrifice every line of code he's written and programmed into Ziggy, and they have to reset the system to 1999. (laughs) And we end up back with our old Ziggy, and Ben is once again unmoored and leaping through his own lifetime. That sounds like a thread that we might pick up in a later episode. There you go. And then and Ziggy can be snarky and Deborah Pratt again. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'd like to see that. One way or the other, I feel like she's probably in there. In my head canon presently, she's still in there. Yeah. I can't imagine that she's gone. It took them this long to imply that she'd been offline and brought back online and is completely different. Yeah, I don't think that was mentioned. I don't think the idea that she was just completely offline for like 20 years existed early in the show. Okay, because the only thing I do remember is that they were uploading new lines of code Yes. to try and improve the retrieval program, if I'm not mistaken. And Ben had uploaded a bunch of code that he thought would allow him to come back. Written with Janice. Janice and Ben collaborated she, well, yeah, on that she code. She uploaded it, Yeah. right? She snuck in with and uploaded it. And was sure to wear her little navy ring so that we could track down who she was with the camera that was right on her fingers. We're making while she was just, just obvious enough. <laughs> I got a real kick out of watching Ian direct a team of people. Yeah. 20 seconds it took them to say, I want half of you doing this and half of you doing that. And I'm in charge of this room. And here are my people that work for me. I got a kick out of that. Very much in passing. But anything that's going to give me a feeling of the inner workings of that environment. If we're going to play in there, let's play in there. Here's an idea for another episode. So we talked about our survivors imposter syndrome episode support group. Uh, What if we had an episode that was entirely focused at Project Quantum Leap and the leap was happening in tandem, but we weren't really engaged with Ben for the entire time? And it was Mm -hmm. filmed and written like an episode of The Office. (laughs) (laughs) Like there's some government officials in there taking, uh, doing interviews and stuff. Yes, exactly. There's a government team there that's just observing what's going on. And we're seeing little vignettes of everything. And then we're getting those sit-down camera interviews with, like, Ian and and Magic. In a top-secret project. 
And now that I said then, it, it's a joke, but I really want to see it. Yeah, it would be nice. It would be interesting <laughs> to see. Addison keeps running off. It sounds like an SNL skit if the show were more popular. It does. It's definitely not popular enough. As much as I would love to see anybody involved in this show, especially, I think, Ernie Hudson. I love to see Ernie Hudson as the host of SNL. And I think he'd really love it. Yeah, Ernie Hudson. Raymond yeah. Lee. Uh, get Raymond Lee to host SNL one week. I mean, it's all NBC. It's not outside the realm of possibility, I guess. Yeah, Mason Alexander so. Park. Mason Alexander Park is who I want to see host SNL. Yeah, they'd be good. Maybe when the second season of The Sandman drops. They are getting a lot more play in the bigger picture, aren't they? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Man, oh, man. Yeah, we're almost there. So I, I want to get to my nitpicks. The same thing, because we're talking Project Quantum Leap and the mechanics of how the project works with regards to my nitpicks. And the nitpicks are just like, okay, you know what, show? Do what you will. First one. <laughs> The Ziggy, the plug is pulled, but the hand links all still work. And it's explained away by, oh, yeah, they run on a different system. Boom, we're done. We're moving on. Okay, I actually enjoyed that line because I'm not completely inept when it comes to computers and technology. But there Uh are times where I just don't know why something works, but it does. And somebody just explains (laughs) it to me and I'm like, you know what? All right. So it works that way. You know, I prefer my magic theory, thank you very much. <laughs> I think it's entirely plausible that there's some kind of long-form explanation for why it works, and I liked the fact that they wrote it and Addison was just sort of like, I don't get it, but yeah, it works, you know, whatever. Maybe it's just connected to a Verizon tower or something like that. It could and be. It's obviously just the internet. <laughs> yeah. Having watched them work analog, what does Ziggy actually do? Like, what's the advantage of the probabilities that she's running? So that's the question. And there was a point in this episode Mm -hmm. where I thought maybe they fail because Ziggy's offline. Maybe this episode's going to end in a place where the project can't exist without Ziggy. And they're like, shit, we've got to plug Ziggy back in. We've got to do this. Like, this all has to play out this way because we have to have Ziggy to make this project work. I was under the impression that Ziggy was the machine that made the whole thing work. With a million gigabyte capacity, I'm quite capable of rubbing my tummy, patting my head, and doing a trillion floating point operations at once. In retrospect, I'm kind of glad they didn't go in that direction. If we're leading to some sort of catastrophe in the season finale, Mm -hmm. Maybe this episode has more to do with that than meets the eye, and maybe pulling Ziggy offline is exactly the wrong thing to do, you know? Right. And and who knows, maybe it ends up still being the case, because we get to the end of this episode and Ziggy is still not plugged back in. As far as we know. Well, there's definitely one version of Ziggy that isn't at the end of this episode. That's, yeah. But yes, so who knows? But I thought it would have more of a detrimental effect on the leap than it did. It did send them down a lot of red herrings. Oh, yeah. Like I say, I enjoyed watching them work analog, and they came up with all these great theories, and they did all this great research. And then, like you said, the shock therapy thing, we learn all this background about the pilot, and then we go to see whether that's the case, and he's just dead. And he's already dead. It's like, it's like <laughs> no, nope, oh, just well, murder. <laughs> on to the next thing. Yeah, like the episode was really, really clever in how it built on 
every little thing. All right, we figured this out. And like, oh, nope, that's not it. And then we figured this out. And then, nope, that's not you it. You use and... the word clever because that actually bothered me. Did you, <laughs> you liked the fact that they kind of changed course so quickly? Because I was like, wait, what? He's dead? <laughs> like, nope, just murder. That was abrasive, <laughs> I will say. But I did think that overall, it's like it kind of keeps them on their toes. It keeps them guessing right along with us. What is the outcome of all of this? And where yeah, are we headed? Okay. So I, I think the show... They did a lot of good research that ended up to be meaningless. I think what this was in the writer's room, it's like, we need every commercial break to land on a, well, that theory was wrong. Because that's pretty much how the show progresses. Yeah. Until we get to the very end of it. I wasn't real happy with that because I enjoyed watching them kind of put a mystery together. Yeah. And I understand the need for, you know, red herrings and going down the wrong path in order for the right path to be plain as day. But I don't know. There was something about that. I was like, oh, that's interesting about that pilot. And Oh, the pilot's dead. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> yeah, that poor guy. Man, he was going through some shit. He didn't need that. Yeah, right? They did him dirty. As long as we're talking about mysteries, can we talk a little bit about the bad guy's plan? I ha- Maybe. Can you take the lead on this? Because I'm not sure what it was. I, well, <laughs> that's kind of the point. If we so, want to talk so, about nitpicks. So the things, I, the thing I liked about it was okay. Corey comes into the back asking about, I think the request this time was for the wings. Yeah, yeah. Right? He comes back in and his Eddie Deason voice is like, can I get the wing pen? And um, <laughs> return to your seat, Corey. And then he looks down and he sees that there's this container that's an emergency container, but the seal is broken on it. That cracks this part of the mystery wide open, right? Right. They open it up and there's just tons of money inside. And Thank God the I- camera was from his perspective. <laughs> right. <laughs> the ID was for the co-pilot. Right. Paul Kirk, right? Yep. And they're like, wait, oh man, Paul's in on it. And then Corey's handler comes in and he says, uh, you know, oh, my gosh, the plane's being hijacked. And she turns out to be in on it as well. Right. uh, Leslie. And so Leslie and Paul are together. They've got a a couple other people on the plane who are also trying to abscond with this money. (laughs) They're over the Atlantic Ocean. Nate, explain to me what the plan was here. Uh, Well... I know what the plan was. I don't know why they did that. Like, <laughs> because the kid was on the plane, they were going to get money from dad, right? Yeah, okay. And then uh, they were the going to go to Belize situation. or whatever and buy a private island. And But even if that is your plan, though, the two things that you just touched on, yes, why stash your bag in that area with a tamper seal? What? Yeah. Why put your go bag in the emergency hatch that has a tamper seal. You know where you put that shit? Under your seat? In a locker? Anywhere else? <laughs> put it in the overhead, man. Put it in the overhead compartment. Yeah, I was going to say, that's the one place you don't put it. Break yeah. a seal for the, like, like why is he hiding that in there? There's no yeah. reason. And he's the co-pilot. He should have a freaking locker or something. I'll tell you why, because he's got no respect for women, and the only people who would have been in there were the flight attendants. And he's like, look, okay. these broads are too stupid to find <laughs> this money back here. And yeah, well, one of those broads is the former New York detective who also, when it's brought to her attention that the plane is being hijacked, whose cover is not blown in the least 
pulls a gun right then and there. Right. And says, well, okay, you caught me. Here's a gun in your face. Like, what the? She's like the least smooth person. You know who's a lot smoother than her? Paul Kirk, the co-pilot. Because at the beginning of the episode, when Ben comes into the cockpit and says, look, there's a problem on this plane. We've got to do an emergency landing, yada, yada, yada. Something is not right. Yeah. After they leave the cockpit, Addison remarks, I think the co-pilot looks like he believes you. Right. Because the co-pilot is in on the shit that's going on. Right, right. But you know what he doesn't do? Blow his fucking cover. Right? I know. (laughs) It's funny that that didn't pay off a little better to do something with that character, but it didn't make any sense to me. Her cover wasn't blown. Why'd she pull a gun in that situation? Why did he stash the bag there? I guess at the end of the day, they're just really bad at their plan. But their plan, I think, was just money. And then they didn't like... What's your plan? Money. (laughs) I think they gave us a throwaway line. It's all they they gave us, Nate. (laughs) I mean, it really was sort of like there was this backhanded attempt to make it sound like they were sticking up for the working class. Their plan seemed a little short on motivation. Yeah, yeah. But again, I think it was designed to be a red herring. I guess the assumption is that we, the audience, are not supposed to care that much about it. We're supposed to be more invested in what's bringing the plane down. Okay, this is just another thing. There's another bump in the road. These guys and their harebrained plan to extort money out of this airline owner. You know, it's all just another goofy red herring. It would have been a good thing for the television show that Ian falls asleep to. To know what? Was, oh God! What was yeah. the name of that? Was that show? like airline disasters? Yeah, yeah, something like that. Like wonderful show to go to sleep to. Yeah, that's... those are the character moments I live for. Yeah, like, that was fun. That was fun. Give you a little information, like, oh, what the fuck is up with that? That's right, and we get to see Ian as a hologram. We've been talking yes, about and... that since episode three. So here's my other nitpick. Oh, so not two episodes ago, the imaging chamber could not handle having two people in it at once. And this episode, we've got two people in the imaging chamber at once. Not only two people, but they're in totally different places on that plane. Right. Simultaneously. Uh-huh. And again, much like the hand link, it's explained away with a line of dialogue, which I guess is something to really respect. <laughs> like the brass you got to have to just be like, yeah, don't worry about it. We fixed it. You know, <laughs> put a patch on it, Brian, put a patch on it. It's fine. Maybe all it ever took was unplugging Ziggy and plugging Ziggy back in. Have you checked to make sure Ziggy's plugged in? I thought it was fun. Oh, I mean, the moment was great. Yeah. I loved the interplay between Ian and Ben is, no lie, exactly what I wanted. And it was exactly the sort of chemistry that I hoped for. And it just made me want to see more of the two of them yeah. engaging on this level together. Yeah, no like, doubt. What a great what a great scene. No doubt. No indication that they knew how to fly a plane though. Right. But that didn't matter because all they really needed to know was how to program a flight simulator. And I think they had that covered. Fair enough. Uh, it's so cool the the tracking lines that are pulled up the holographic to yeah. help Ben line up his descent yeah, and I thought actually that was cool land too. the plane. Yeah. A lot of fun. I thought that was that was really, really great. Yeah, harkens back to the episode where they use Ziggy to put the pool balls on the pool table. 
Oh, um, yeah. With the lines of inference and the lines yeah. of... And Al yeah. was struggling to get the power from the Pentagon to be able to keep those lights going. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that was great. Refraction and incidents, yeah. Yeah, I thought that was really good. And the two of them together was great. It does just make me write about seeing Ian as the hologram. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. It seems like we're going to end up with a revolving door of holograms. And I think I'm okay with that. I, I, like, I like, am Based also. on what we've seen so far, what this show is finding its way with, where the show really hits on all cylinders, is when everyone in the project is fulfilling their roles to the best of not just their ability, but maximizing the story that we can get and what their purpose within all that framework can be. And if that means switching out, like maybe we've got to get Jen in for a leap that's legal. Maybe. (laughs) Let's not push. We get Ian in, we get Addison. (laughs) Maybe magic comes in once in a while. Maybe that guy with the creepy doll collection comes in. (laughs) I'm looking forward to seeing him. I can't wait to see. He's going to let us down. It's going to be like the reverse Jaws effect. Look, if Whatever it's not built Stephen up in our Root, head. then it's not right. worth it. I mean, you know? obviously, Stephen Root is the person here. That notwithstanding, a lot of what I liked about this episode was the moments when they were all standing at a computer looking shit up on the internet, talking about what could have brought the plane down. Where are they getting this information? And that's stuff you don't see on an original Quantum Leap. Here is this team solving a mystery, and I didn't feel disengaged. We talked about a 2022 storyline versus a Leap storyline. And when they're the same storyline, it works. I think that's been the norm for the last last five episodes Mm -hmm. or so, you know, like where they are running concurrent to one another, they are uniform, and they are all aimed towards a similar purpose. And that's why this episode works, even though it's kind of okay. Yeah. I mean, it just feels wild to me to think back to the episode that was about Jen and Magic trapped in an elevator. What was that? It doesn't even feel like the same show anymore. Right. You know? If I had to go and pick out moments from this show over the course of a season here where I'm just like, what? It was basically <laughs> Jen tracking Janice down on an island somewhere. And oh, so like, yeah. She's like, oh, my God. And I understand they were trying to further their mystery like it was a different story. I think it's when the two stories started to coincide that it started to work. Yes. When it was completely independent of what Ben was doing, it just wasn't working. And now that they can go hand in hand at the outset or at the end of SOS, that's the pinnacle still, right? I mean, SOS is what they're trying to do. Yeah. I think as long as we're running here, Brian, we should probably get to the uh, nuclear winter. Oh, my God. Unless you've got something more about the flight. No. They I, don't crash. Spoilers. Yeah, spoilers. They make it. No, so from very early in the season, it has been established that Ben's got about 17, 18 leaps <laughs> until he reaches whatever point he was trying to get to. Right. And it appears that at the end of this episode, he arrives at that point in a ruined bunker, snow falling, dead silent. He's walking through it. Where the heck am I? 
anybody who's familiar with genre television looks at this or and says, dystopian well, futures right well we're looking at well this is post-apocalyptic right like immediately upon seeing it and of course it's not long before we see in the foreground a computer server with the word ziggy on it mm-hmm. that is completely destroyed and ben remarks that it's snowing and then we hear a voice off screen say nuclear winner ben turns and it's an older version of ian who tells Ben that he's been waiting for him a long, long time. Nuclear winter. Yeah, and that's it. We are in the future for the first time in Quantum Leap. Well, it wasn't supposed to be possible, right? Oh, right, because... Which seems a little strange if it's really supposed to be the start of your life and the end of your life, ball up the string. You should be able to jump to the future, one would think. All right, let's get existential about that original series again. Okay, all right, I'll leave it Because my feeling was always that the moment that Sam stepped into the accelerator was the end of his quote-unquote chronological life. Oh, huh. His life ended when he stepped into the accelerator. Because he never came home, and he continued leaping forever, right? But he's so not that's, dead. But that's the end point. So he could never leap beyond the year like 1994. He could never leap beyond that. So, again, I'm getting head y on that, but that was always my feeling. Yeah, I still don't feel like they've given us a good explanation for why it just doesn't matter that Ben is not leaping within his own lifetime. Yeah, because this is obviously not the first time. This is the third or fourth time in this run that he has leaped beyond the scope of his own life it just happens to be the first time that he's leaped forward in time rather than backwards right yeah they kind of gave us a hand wavy this show doesn't work that way they aren't hamstrung by that i guess no here's a question i have is ben himself in the future or has he leaped into that's a someone? good question we haven't seen a reflection i'm yet. very yeah. very curious about that i kind of feel like he must be I guess I honestly don't know. It seems like, I mean, just based on where he ends up and the fact that Ian seems to be alone in this bunker waiting for him suggests that it's just Ben. Yeah. Like Ben has leaped forward. And maybe that ends up being a component part of it. Maybe you can't leap into someone moving forward, but you can leap your entire self forward. I don't know. I don't necessarily trust the show to explain that part to us, especially in light of my nitpicks this week. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, I don't care. And I think anybody watching this show sees the last three minutes of that episode and is like, this is the shit I've been waiting for, for 17 episodes. This show, what they've been teasing, what they've been building towards, give me something that is weird and time travel-y and consequential on an epic scale. Yeah. Well, here's the thing, though. And again, something we probably should have tackled last episode, which is Janice makes a comment that 1954 was the last chance he had to stop Martinez. Right. And then she makes a later comment, you know, you should have listened to me today. We could have lost everything. Well, didn't you? Right. (laughs) If you didn't stop Martinez, did you You not lose everything? Yeah. Where are we now? He didn't stop Martinez. That was his only chance? And now he's arrived at the, and so the other confusing thing, and we talked about it being a little messy last week, is if 1954 was the last chance to stop Martinez, but his goal was the future. They always said, I'm trying to leap to the future, but my last chance is to stop him in 1954. That doesn't quite square with what we've been told. Uh, Granted, I mean, I'm assuming answers will come next week. 
but I would expect to see Martinez leaping into the project circa 2023 in next week's episode. Oh. And what we're seeing in whatever future Ben is in is the outcome of whatever Martinez does in that time period. Hmm. That's my feeling. But then is Ben powerless to stop what's happening? And why doesn't Team Quantum Leap just do it themselves if he's there with them? Yeah, I don't know. They did imply that he would not see Martinez again. Like, he only had three shots at it. So that seems strange. And now he's in the future. Maybe Martinez is in the future with them. Even so, he's in a future where a nuclear winter has already occurred. Is he just being brought there to, to see what the outcome could be and being sent back to prevent it? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe the Martinez we've seen leaping is from that same post-apocalyptic future. And they put him in the accelerator in that future. To stop that. Yes. Right. Which necessitates the death of Addison. But then where is Ian from? Is future Ian, the one we've seen in this post-apocalyptic future, the one that leaped back into Dottie and met with... Doesn't look like he has an accelerator to leap in. Well, they obviously don't need Ziggy for shit, so I mean, like... (laughs) I I don't know. It does seem... It seems... If I had to guess, I don't think he's going to spend a lot of time in that time period next episode. I think he's going to oh, leap. Okay. Mi- I think he's going to leap mid episode. Interesting. Okay. Is he just there to get Ian a sandwich? No, he's there to get some exposition. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Once you've received the exposition, the yeah, leap is done. Pick, you... He's going to pick up some exposition from future Ian, and then Ziggy says, "Ziggy says Ian dies a very cold, lonely death of radiation poisoning in the snow." <laughs> Honestly, I guess I don't know what they're doing, but I guess here's a question. Do we have a lot of faith in what they're doing? Uh, I'm going to tell you, now that I saw that Ziggy in pieces tease, yes. You do. You do. (laughs) Okay. I do now. They're just scratching itches, man. They're hitting the right notes for me. See, this has been a roller coaster ride this season, right? Oh, yeah. 17 episodes worth of evidence to me suggests that I don't 100% expect them to land this larger narrative. I think my expectations for what that looks like has changed. Okay. I don't know that we're going to get all the answers anymore. Like, at one point I thought, and I said on this show, that this whole plot line would be wrapped up pretty nicely and that Mm -hmm. the second season would be taking different threads and creating its own narrative. No, the that second would, that season will be Evil Leapers, you said. I did. Yes, that was <laughs> going to be the second thing. I still think that's probably true. But... It has to be, right? <laughs> Chekhov's Evil Leapers. Absolutely. I don't know at this point that everything will be resolved by the end of next week's episode. It won't be. It can't be. I really don't want them to end on a middle-of-things cliffhanger. Don't want it to be like a part one of two, and we get this cliffhanger, we gotta wait till the next season. Mr. Worf. Fire. Right, yeah, yeah, good old next generation. I don't necessarily want that. To that extent, I think we are owed more for sticking with this freshman show. Yeah, Star Trek had earned it by the time they did Best of Both Worlds Part 1 and 2. That's a show that had spent two and a half seasons figuring out what it was and then figured it out and then did that. Yeah, exactly. 
No, I agree with you. I I really was expecting some kind of resolution leading into this episode. And now I also feel like we're going to get a cliffhanger. Yeah. And I don't know how I feel about it. We've got to get Ben leaping again. Obviously, he's got to keep going. Right. Right. But I don't know if I want to keep following this mystery. I don't think there will be much left to the mystery. To be honest, they didn't give us a whole lot. Like, I don't know what this next thing's going to be. I got to believe most of the viewers are probably really intrigued by it because we weren't given a lot. Because it was sort of like the best type of teaser. I don't necessarily think it's what any of us expected this episode to end on. Nuclear winter? Right. (laughs) (laughs) But at the same time, I'm looking at it and I'm like, oh no, okay, this is a time travel show. This kind of makes sense. Like something catastrophic that must be prevented and all the little elements are starting to come together and we're starting to see, oh wait, is this what Ben's trying to prevent? Is this what Martinez was trying to prevent? Or is this the result of the two of them trying to prevent something else? Did Lothos do this? To your point, why float the evil leapers out there in episode 16 if episode 18 has nothing to do with them? It almost certainly has to have something to do with an evil leaper program, one would think. So, I guess we'll see, right? I mean, he's in the future. He's made the destination that his gravity-assisted time-traveling spectrum... Leads him to whatever the hell that was. You know, the slingshot thing like in Star Trek 4 where they slingshot around the sun. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's pretty much what he's been doing. Whatever that explanation was, I still never got a good explanation for that. Oh, no, no. It's like whatever makes their heads all like clay and weird. (laughs) But they didn't even try. Like, they didn't even try. (laughs) Really? I mean, like, I, I... I can't wait for the retrospective episode that we do. Like, I'm sure we're going to do some kind of yes, like season yeah. long. Here's what we're like thinking. a recap. Let's look back at it. Mix it in with some superlatives or whatever. But we did a whole season. Almost. Almost oh, done a whole season. Let's here. not jinx it. <laughs> we're almost there. <laughs> All right. Well, gosh, a lot to cover for a, one one little middle, <laughs> middle of the road, of the road. episode. <laughs> Yeah, we always figure it out. Well, folks, if you uh, have a mind to reach out to us, you can do so at oboyqlpod at gmail.com. That's our email address. What are your theories? Yeah, tell us your theories. Tell us what you think is going to happen. Tell us, how old do you think Ian is in that final moment? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, I don't know, because Ian, let's be honest, always looks fantastic, (laughs) even in the post-apocalypse. You can find us both... Still on Twitter, sans blue checks, although I've never enjoyed such a delight in my life as to have a blue check mark next to my name. I'm at Captain Burns, C-A-P-T-N-B-E-R-N on Twitter. I find the blue check is too expensive. Um, (laughs) I'm at Action Nate. And folks, that's a wrap for this week. Until next time, I'm Brian. And I'm Nate. And we'll be here in the waiting room.